Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to episode 11 of Power Players, powered by Radio.com and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Danielle McCartan, DMC, and in this episode, I'll talk with Vanessa Hutchinson, the NFL's Senior Manager of Football Development, about the timeline in which a woman will suit up for an NFL team, the innovation behind the buy-in to, and the results of the Women's Careers in Football Forum. We'll talk a little bit of scouting a little bit of the COVID-19 impact, and the league's plan for long-term success. Buckle in. Here we go. Vanessa, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Vanessa, I always wanted to play football growing up, and my mom said that the boys were always just too much bigger than me, and I guess she didn't want me to get hurt. But for you, working in a football ops at three different levels for 10 years, did you ever play football? I never played football. I wish I had the guts to play football. I've always just been fascinated by the sport, though, in itself and kind of just what you have to do to your body in order to play. So anyone who plays football, male or female, I just have the utmost respect for them. But I myself have never played, no. So how were you able to learn the game, I guess, so so intricately? Uh, honestly, I have a sister and my dad had, had no sons. And so I kind of went under his wing there and we, we watched football every Sunday. Um, and that's really what became my thing early on in terms of learning about football and learning the game. Um, and then eventually I was, you know, had the ability to, to start working on it in college football and my knowledge just grew from there. But it was really just an interest that's how it started off. Working in these positions that you do, I imagine that most, if not all, of your peers are men and even former players. So, I mean, did you ever feel like you had to demand respect from them? I think something I talk a lot about with with a lot of my colleagues, female who, who work in football, is this, you're always going to come across somebody at some point in your career that doesn't really think you belong there. You'll come across way more that think you do, which is the great part about, you know, where the sport's going and where the sport's heading. But you'll always run into someone who kind of just it looks down on you a little bit and maybe doesn't even, even take the time to get to understand how much your role really, you know, affects what, what they do. And they don't really take time to appreciate that. But I think but the thing that matters is that I've always I've learned throughout time is you really just need to worry about, you know, the people who who matter, the people you report to that, that, you know, they need to know you're doing a great job. And as long as you focus on that, they'll be your advocate in front of other people. Um, if there are those people that don't think you belong. And that's, that's I think that's a thing to focus on. You can't go head to head with everyone. And even, you know, in, in a normal work environment, sports aside, you're always going to run into people you may not necessarily get along with, but you learn how to have a working relationship with them and you do your job. And, and ultimately that's prove your worth and your value to, you know, to the organization. I like that. And just the, uh, the just position to just any industry. I like that. Uh, that kind of leads us to our first, I've got a few listener questions and this one comes from Bill in Massachusetts. And he said, he told me that he just saw the ESPN documentary born to play. Um, it's about the women's professional team. 
and he wants to know from you, how far are we from seeing a woman in the NFL as a player? It's a great question. I don't think we're far off. I think the idea of women playing football has now grown. It's now it's becoming more common knowledge to people that women actually play football, and they play it at a very high level. You look at someone like Katie Sowers, who's coaching the 49ers, and Katie you know, played football for a while. You look at Sam Rappaport, Sam played football for a while. And so as these names grow and it start, people start recognizing that women do play football, that becomes, from the perspective of the fans, that becomes more normalized for them. In terms of the skill set, I would say I'm not the right person to evaluate those women who are currently playing football and there are, are some at the college level that are playing um i haven't you know done on my end watch their film and norm i'm really qualified to watch their film in that regard as to how they are you know comparable to playing in the league however because they are now starting to play in college football we're, we're, we're definitely closer we're definitely closer to someone um you know getting their first opportunity and i think i think that's not far off and it, that's really exciting. You know, it's really exciting just breaking that barrier. And I think, like I said, we're not too far off. After I wrote down his question, a name popped into my mind. And we are today, uh, one year since the U.S. Women's National Team won the World Cup. And I'm telling you, I'm sure you've seen the video. I would buy a Carly Lloyd jersey no matter what team she's on. If, she, if Carly <laughs> Lloyd really went for it, Vanessa, in your estimation... Would one of the 32 teams have a roster spot for her? Um, you know, to be honest, a, a what makes a great personnel department is really looking at the player and not looking at the gender, right? Obviously, if you're running a great personnel department, what you're focused on is the player, and if that does that player bring value to the bottom guy on the roster, and if if, if he or she does then you look at them seriously and you bring them in for a workout and you take them seriously. You know, if Carly has, has that skill set that is above, you know, one of the, you know, 32 starters of that position, then a personnel department doing it right would take a real look at her. So in your time in Cleveland as a football and a, a personnel ops coordinator, the Browns drafted in that first round Miles Garrett, Jabril Peppers, and David Njoku. What was your evaluation in selecting those players? Yeah, so I actually started with the Browns about two months after uh, those selection picks. So I just I just missed that. But I was around for the excitement around around those guys coming in. And Miles is obviously just, you know, he, he was a beast and everyone knew that. And he still proves to be, you know, a, a top player at that position. Um, and, you know, David's so, so versatile as well at, at his role. So, I mean, there was a lot of excitement around it. I wish I said, I wish I could say I played more of a hand in that, but it was right before I got there. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, hey, listen, I'm in New Jersey. You're in New York, obviously. But I've got to ask, I have a program on WFAN Sports Radio. What's your valuation of Peppers fitting in with the Giants scheme? Oh, I mean, I think he definitely, I mean, he definitely can earn a spot. You know, he's, that's Jabril is that, um, you know, he stands out on like kind of like, both defensively, but and like you know that special teams area as well. So I, he's got versatility to him where he can definitely offer something to the team. You just got to get him in the right spot and be able to let him produce. But I think I think you got a good player there. There you go, Giants fans. Vanessa, what would you say? I guess is the most rewarding part about your position in the NFL league office in New York. 
I mean, I, for sure, it has to be just being connected to people I wouldn't meet otherwise, whether that's through a random email that gets sent my way or someone I come across on LinkedIn that I strike up a conversation with or, or meet, you know, at the combine or something like that. You know, you get introduced to so many people who have so many things to offer, whether it's a professional level, the college level, they just want to work in football and, and they're, they're great prospects, you know, for those roles. And so, you know, by being able to be introduced to so many people, they become part of this pipeline that we're able to give their name to a club and a club is looking for, you know, a position. I think that's what's made it the most rewarding is I remember when I was starting off working in football at the college level and I just was hungry for what that next step was. How do I get to the NFL? And you kind of have to make your own steps because there's no, there's no real way to do it. And not that we've you know created an absolute blueprint, but it becomes a little bit easier um, for us to link women with, with people who could, who could hire them. And that kind of leads me to my next point. I wanted to ask you, obviously, the meat of this is going to be about the women's careers in football forum. And for any of my listeners that may want to get involved in this, could you kind of just outline the qualifications just to be accepted into it? Because not everybody gets to get in. Yep. So we change it almost every year about how we want to do it because it's so it's so difficult, right? Because you feel like you're missing someone regardless of how you do the application structure. Um, so honestly, the best way to even get involved with it is get in touch with Sam Rappaport or myself, or whether they know that's via email us via LinkedIn. A lot of what Sam and I do is, you know, phone calls with women, you know, 12 months out of the year just to get to know them. And when we have those phone conversations, you know, anyone we talk to is automatically put into a list of consideration for the women's forum. Um, and that's really the best way to get your foot in the door because that just really helps us build our forum. When we can talk to you one-on-one, that, that's just great for us and so helpful for us to learn more about you and learn how you can fit into the forum. What about like alternate routers? I mean, because the last time it had to be, you know, with the, I looked, it was like one to three years of collegiate football experience. But what about alternate routers? Is there any way for like us, me, to get involved? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I think anyone who shows, like, what we look for is we try to approach it from, like, a little bit of the team perspective. What are different things that would make a team interested in potentially interviewing someone? And something, if you're hiring from the team side that you want to look for, um, you know, is that bit of experience, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, you've worked in college football for one or three years, but what have you done over the past year, two years to grow your network, to teach yourself the game of football, to teach yourself about how a football office is structured, which which varies by team. And that's something as small as logging onto every team's website and taking a look at how they structure their office and who reports to who almost. And a little bit of research on your own, but getting an understanding of how a team runs and then figuring out where you want to fit in there and where you want to learn more about, I think that's really step one. And then finding those individuals that may be in those roles that, that you have an interest in, connecting with them, you know, hopping on the phone and asking them some questions about their role. So that way, you have an understanding of, of what they do and you're building your knowledge, you're building your network all at the same time. And those little things really, really help and show, you know, not just Sam and myself, but show a club if you're looking to work for a club that you have this drive and this motivation and you're doing your best to learn with what you have. And that shows a lot. I mean, that sounds all great, which is, I'm sure it is. But a lot of times I feel, feel that people are like almost hesitant to come off as like annoying, like which, who in the NFL office wants to pick up their phone for some Joe Schmo? You know, how do you, how do you, what do you tell people about that? Honestly, I think there's just a fine line between being, you know, too overwhelming to someone. But the truth of the matter is if you send 32 emails, one to every club, you might get two responses, right? And that's just the truth. But you have to look at who you're reaching out to. If reaching out to head coaches and general managers is really tough to get a response. But 
If you're, for example, interested in being a scouting coordinator, reaching out to one of those scouting coordinators who maybe doesn't have a chance to talk about their role and is really interested in, in, in helping people learn and grow about that role, like that's someone who doesn't have the responsibility of a general manager and head coach and has the time to respond and probably wants to respond because doesn't get reached out to as much, right? And so those are the things you have to look at there is just being really strategical about who you reach out to, I, I think that's one of the, the best things you can do that gives you the best chance of getting that response. I'd have to say that about 100 alumni participants in your forum have been hired, including just in 2020, female scouts for the Falcons, Giants, and the Browns. And I'd have to think that that's a testament to women being just qualified for the positions, but like you were mentioning before, without a way to obtain them previously. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Like, any of the women that got hired, the majority of the women that come to the forum, you know, what makes them stick out is that they have not only the experience, not only the skill sets, but they kind of just are the superstars. They go above and beyond. And when we put them in the forum, they have a great time. They network. They learn a lot. But the work doesn't stop when the forum ends. And that's what makes them so unique. Once the forum ends, they're going back out, networking with the people they met, reaching back out, reaching out to new people that they can get, get connected with. Like it's an ongoing process for them. And that's how they've made it to where they are. So the forum is really this platform that we you know, kind of set them up on where they can meet people, but they really take it from there and really propel themselves. And I, I you know, that's a testament to, to, to the women that are at the forum and the women that have earned those roles. And, you know, there are some that are waiting in the wings that will be earning those roles soon as well. And I think that's what makes them so unique and we had such a great group at the forum every year, and, and this year it sticks out as well. We had such a great group, and it's those little things that make them, you know, these top candidates. And that's why they've earned these positions is that they use the forum, and they just, you know, like I said, they propel themselves with it and use what they're given and run with it. Speaking of networking, this kind of leads me to the next listener question. That was a great segue. Jay from New Jersey wants to know, who are your peers, maybe those from the forum, whose impact you feel more people need to know about? Hmm. There's a, there's a good number of women from the forum that I, I you know, I have a lot of respect for and, and I'd love to highlight. For me, I think one of my favorite stories is Sally Clavel, and she's kind of affected the way we've even structured the forum moving forward. And that Sally Clavel, you know, came into the forum. She was working in college recruiting at Tulane. Then she came to the forum in 2018, I believe. It was right before I was there, actually. But she was one of those people. She learned a lot at the forum, understood that scouting was really the area that she wanted to go into, made some connections with the 49ers, and ended up earning a scouting assistant position there. And I believe she was the first female scouting assistant, at least in the last few years in the National Football League. And from there, like, go to today. And she's a pro personnel analyst. You know, she's a pro scout, essentially. And she's been there for two, two and a half years now. And that just goes to show that someone like Sally, who's came from the college level, didn't really have that network or anything, but took that forum and really just ran with it. And now she's just had a, a team in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they didn't win. But like, you know, that's those are the stories that are so great to hear. Um, and, and I love Sally's story. And we have a few like that. But I just I, I love Sally's story. And like I said, we've used kind of her story as a blueprint of, well, where are those other women working in college recruiting? You know, would they be great fits for scouting as well if they want to go into that? And so Sally is always my go-to on that one. Part of the program features head coaches coming to speak with the women in attendance. And I've seen a list of names, but which ones have, which coaches that is, absolutely jumped at the experience to network and create a culture of tolerance for women in football? 
Yeah, I mean, I think your top names right there are, you know, the, the Ron Rivera's and the Sean McDermott's that have been around almost since day one of the forum, if not day one. You don't even have to ask. They're like, when's the forum this year? I'll be there. Um, and that is just incredible for us to have that constant support. And then you get these newer coaches that are just coming in and, you know, want to show their support as well. You know, we had Mike Grable on our panel this year and honestly, I think he answered the email to participate within, you know, 10 minutes. And he's like, is there anything more I can do besides this? Which is just, those are the responses you want. They're continuing to grow. But I think the definite ones that have been there since day one are those Ron Rivera and Sean McDermott. And they, they're the reason, I think, that we're getting more and more coaches involved because they're doing it themselves and people see the good that comes out of that, you know, with hires that the build and on CB and uh, Callie and, you know, Ron Rivera's been on Jennifer King. So you can see the positives that come out of that. In which ways do you wish the Women's and Careers Football Forum would grow? Honestly, I would love to see all 32 clubs participating in some way. And we're, we're so, so close to that. I want to say we're at 25 or 26 clubs involved in some way, shape, or form. Whether that was stopping by and meeting some of our participants, whether that was being on a panel, leading a breakout session room. We had clubs involved in so many different ways. And if a club emails us and says, how can we get involved, we find a place for them. Um, So just making sure we can get all 32 involved, hopefully next year, that would be for me the the next big hope. Because then you have almost, you know, full buy-in there and you can really make some things happen. This is just a selfish question for me, but would you consider adding a women in media branch to it? We, I mean, I've talked with Sam, you know, at, at length about seeing how the forum can grow. You know, we've always focused on that front office area and focusing on more of a business side, media side. It's certainly stuff we've, we've discussed. And if we have the manpower, the woman power to do that, uh, I think that's something we definitely want to look to do in the future. Keep me on that list then. (laughs) Absolutely. We have another listener question. By the way, you were my most popular guest with all the questions people were submitting for you. I just wanted you to know that. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So this one comes from uh, Jim from Massachusetts. And he, uh, this is a question that I was wondering the answer to as well. He points to... Bill Belichick's success in New England and the fact that he wasn't really a player at an elite level, but, and as Jim says, he was a very smart student of the game and an indication that, quote, there is no reason a woman could not do that and do it extremely well in today's NFL. So Jim would like to know, when do we see the first female offensive or defensive coordinator in the NFL? I mean, that's a, that's a great question. That's a, that's a great point. To answer his question more immediately, I could see it in the next, it's tough because anyone who would be in the running for that position at the moment is still early enough in their career and starting off. And I think you tend to see the in the coaching track, get to the coordinator position more five to 10 years. That's, that's generally when a lot of that career drop happens. But I, I would say within the next five to 10 years, I think is a, is a number I'm at least comfortable saying for whatever, whatever that's worth. But we have some women, you know, in that coaching pipeline that are working their way up. And I could see that being completely realistic in that time frame. In Jim's question, he makes a great point in, um, with Bill Belichick. And I think you see that on the general manager side as well. You see a lot of general managers who did not play elite football or maybe not even play football in college at all. But they are, like, like you said, you know, students of the game, um, very good evaluators, and they can build a roster very, very well. So I think another realistic question is when are we going to see the next female general manager? Because I think on both sides, definitely well on its way. I don't know if many people understand exactly what it is. So if, if we can go through just three arms of football operations, one being player safety, 
one being officiating and one being positioning the sport for long-term success. And this comes directly from the website. If anybody wants to just Google it, it, it comes up. So basically, player safety, Vanessa, and probably the most important threat to player safety this season is going to be the coronavirus. And this leads me right into a listener question, Bob from Nutley, New Jersey, who asks this of you very bluntly, <laughs> probably because we've already seen it occur across many professional sports leagues already. Bob wants to know, does the NFL really think they can keep all the players, coaches, and all personnel COVID-free? <laughs> uh, I think that's a, that's a great question. I think everyone, everyone's definitely wondering that. Unfortunately, that's far beyond my pay grade. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, th- I think obviously that the general, the hope from the, from, from the you know, the league and the fan perspective is that, you know, this, this season is, is happening and the players are as safe as possible. And I think that's just where everyone's coming from. But in terms of the, those other details, you have to wait for those uh, league office memos. But that's, that's the extent of what I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just hoping that fans are allowed back into games. That's what I'm hoping for. We have plans to go see the Jets play the Chargers. <laughs> so hopefully they'll be letting us in. <laughs> After the cancellation of two preseason games, NFLPA's board voted unanimously late last week to ask the league to cancel the entire preseason schedule. Is that a viable option? Those are my superiors as well. I'm more in the diversity, equity, inclusion realm, so game decisions is uh, is a little bit above me. Well, maybe we could talk then from like a scouting personnel point of view, because if that were to happen, I have a concern, because I come from a coaching background too. If the preseason was cut, completely. I have a concern for two groups of people. One of them would be like, how would the bubble guys be given a real shot to make that team? Yeah, I think that's a tough part, you know, that everyone's trying to figure out. And I think, you know, in the meantime, you have to see what you have, you know, in terms of like virtual learning and you know, the teams are conducting their meetings virtually. And obviously you can't see anyone's on field progress, but you can see and hear um, how guys are learning the playbook and, and, and things like that. And that's just a diff- it's a different approach, but it's all they have right now at the moment. And they kind of need, need to use that. And so you kind of figure out who's a good student of the game and who's really taking on all the information they're being given. I think that's the route you go right now until you can see them on the field. The other group of people that I'd be concerned for from a coaching you know, evaluation standpoint would be the rookies, especially the quarterbacks. We know this is a quarterback-driven league. Guys like maybe Tua, he just popped into my mind, who are just thrust into week one play without really competing at NFL game speed. And there's only so much you could replicate at practice. I know that as a coach myself. So, I mean, that's another area of concern for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're probably, again, not, not alone in that as well. I think, um, you know, that's obviously on the club's mind as well and how they, how they approach that and if they want to throw someone into that position right away. That's a decision you make with or without, you know, everything going on with COVID, but I, I understand the question for sure. It, it definitely uh, makes that decision a lot tougher with the way things are right now. I know the College of New Jersey has already canceled the women's soccer season. One of the players, her name is Nikki, she told me that um, her school, not the conference, decided to cancel the season. What particularly concerns me is the football players from small schools, like colleges, like hers, that might not be, quote-unquote, getting a chance. Do you foresee, Mm -hmm. we talked about the adjustments, you know, at the NFL level, but do you foresee any adjustments to the draft or the scouting combine to account for possible college football disruptions due to COVID? 
Yeah, I think that could be realistic. Again, another thing that would that would come from, you know, my superiors. But I think from the club perspective, each personnel department has an understanding of each college team that they're that they're looking at. So they're not they don't just look at seniors, you know, they know who who the junior class is and so on and so forth. So they have a good understanding of who their prospects might be. But obviously they want to see them perform this fall. So I think for sure, I think if there's um if maybe they're not getting uh their planning timers or things like that, I could definitely see some sort of contingency planning happening there. Another arm of football ops is officiating. And let's be honest, Vanessa, at times it was brutally inconsistent. And I'm not here to talk about that, but I'm talking about how to make it better. Um, I mean, I've got some Saints fans as friends, and, and they're very upset. But I think one of the suggestions that maybe I could propose to you is that I mean, so that they could dedicate time to their craft, like research things, watch film. Is making officials full-time employees of the league an option? Yeah, I mean, again, that's uh, that's an area that's also probably uh, or definitely is above what I what I do have knowledge on or can answer. I uh, for sure no, I I know what game you're referencing, and I and I know uh, you know officiating some of those things that even you know college level NFL level will never obviously be perfect but we want to get it as right as we possibly can but that, that's just a question I probably I'd have to punt on okay. no <laughs> <laughs> all right and then you know the final thing I'm so grateful to have you on because I also want to talk about the NFL's positioning of the sport for long-term success and kind of to tie in what we were talking about before the latest statistic that I've seen is something like 47 percent of the NFL's fans are female and how has the league included female fans in its initiative and Vanessa, I'm not just talking about selling those stupid pink jerseys. <laughs> That's actually, you know, a pretty well-known fact around the office. I wish I had the percentages of how many uh, women actually work in the league office versus men, but like it is probably very close to 50-50 if not more women to, to be quite honest so that's definitely something that's that's widely recognized by the league and, and you know a lot of people who are spearheading a lot of those efforts whether it's with the fans uh with sponsorship with media like are are women so i think that that's, that's a big big focus for them and making sure that all fans feel included and i hear you beyond the pink jerseys for sure i know they do um different events throughout the year and i wish i could speak better on it but i know it's a big push for them and i know it's a big focus for them making sure that all of our fan group is recognized and, and you know, not just aiming this towards a, a game for men because it certainly, certainly is not. So that is definitely something the league office is, is very much focused on. In May, the owners voted to expand the Rooney rule. Do you hope that one day there might be like, quote unquote, Rooney rule for women in football? I certainly do. Uh, I certainly do. I, I think that even if it's not something mandated, I think that's something a lot of clubs are starting to do on their own as well, understanding that they have a candidate pool beyond men and trying to act before even anything anything is mandated like that. I know, you know, there's a lot of general managers and head coaches where that is that is a big priority for them, mandate or no mandate. So I certainly think that mandate or not, it's, that's definitely something that is being worked on and is something that is practiced right now already. Going back to before, you're talking about like guys like Ron Rivera, Mike Rabel that come in and, and they come to the forum and they come to talk to the women. What things do they do in order to set up a culture of tolerance for females in football in their own locker rooms? One thing that I, I know about, you know, Coach Rivera is his wife is, is heavily, heavily involved in the organization she's been a part of and is around and is a strong advocate for women in the front office, women on the, on the business side, every part of the organization. So Ron really just practices what he preached. He lives it. And, you know, his wife is heavily involved and he's, his family, I should say, is heavily involved. And so he practices that not just when he's at a forum, you know, promoting women in football, but he does it from the family side, and then he makes it a point to bring in 
I believe it's probably every year since he's been involved in the forum, a woman in the training camp to make sure he offers some coaching experience there. Someone who's more more recently involved, like you know, like the Mike Rabels, is you know, as soon as he got involved, he wanted to dedicate an internship specifically for women in a certain area of his front office. They create positions, but they also just make sure you know they practice what they preach. They make sure their their coaches, their staff have an understanding of you know they want gender diversity as well, and they need to create a role of some way, shape, or form to help introduce that and, and get that rolling. You know, that's what they do. Have you ever met or, or spoke to, whether it be a scout or a coach or whoever, someone involved in football that doesn't want to be the first because it's automatically like they become the spokesperson? Don't like do, do you ever meet anybody that just says like you know what I just want to do my job I don't want to be put into the limelight Let me just do my job. Yeah, for sure. I, I won't name names or anything, but I certainly had that that conversation both from the the female side of you know the woman working in the office. Um, I should say that's where I've had the main conversation. You know, because there is you know when you get into an office and first of all when you work in football, you've worked so hard to get to where you are. You're you're one of those people that just wants to work and grind and get your stuff done. And I think that's just the big mindset of a lot of women that work in those front office roles. So you don't want to really be a distraction. I don't think anyone anyway wants to feel like a distraction. But I, I should say from what I've discussed with the women who, you know, have been in some of these roles, it's you want to be able to, you know, be that voice to help create a pathway for other women, but you also want to be able to not be a distraction to your organization. And and you want to just, you know, Put your head down and grind and do your job. So it's finding a balance there that's a little bit of a difficult thing. But that's definitely certainly, uh, you know, some conversations I've had, like I said, more specifically with the women in those roles. To work at the NFL main office there, the headquarters, but having only like one season worth of experience with an NFL team, how was your collegiate experience able to to get you where you wanted to be? I learned a lot in my my time with with the Browns, which I think ultimately was probably only seven months. The majority of all my experience in football has stemmed from from the college, but being I was at Boston College for for seven years in total. So a lot of my experience that I pull from does come from there. And the thing I really enjoyed about BC was, you know, my mentor there um, had come from the Arizona Cardinals, you know, and he was um, high up in their front office there. Um, And so I learned a lot. I learned from an NFL executive while I was at the college level. So everything he had taught me in regards to football operations and, and the different roles I had at the college level, I was learning from a guy that had been, you know, in the National Football League for a number of years. So I always asked him, you know, both the college and NFL perspective. So as I was learning and growing, I tried to at least learn how to see things in, in both, you know, lights. College and NFL have their differences, but they're also obviously structured so similarly in terms of, you know, the front office mindset and mentality and things like that. But for sure, I think to answer your question, I definitely drew from the college side. Um, but there was definitely NFL influence just from my mentor itself. I definitely drew from that DC experience. The Women's Careers in Football Forum, things are being canceled left and right due to this coronavirus. Um, it's usually in February. It's usually centered around you know, the uh, NFL scouting combine. Have you and Sam Rappaport talked about is it still going to happen in person or is it going to be like a digital forum this year? Yeah, I mean, it's still a, a discussion that we definitely need to have at length. I'll say Sam and I are both continuing on as if there is a forum and doing our planning there on that end and then talking with candidates and things like that. The hope is obviously that there is an in-person forum, knowing we may have to adjust in some way, shape or form. Certainly seeing if there's some way to contingency plan as opposed to canceling would probably be high up on our priority list just with how much this event means to us. So obviously we'll know more as things progress, but as of right now, we're, we're moving forward and planning, you know, as if this is something we can do. And even if it's not physically, I'm, I'm sure we'll work to find a way that we can still make something happen with this forum. Where could prospective 
people that want to maybe attend it, where could they find out information based on, is it going to be in person or, or online or et cetera? My best suggestion would be reaching out to Sam and I. And, and like, if you want to look me up on LinkedIn or, or Sam on LinkedIn, we're heavily on there. We won't have any answers as of right now, but the best thing that we can do, like I said, if you reach out on LinkedIn and we have a conversation and you're on our list, you know, be a potential candidate, that's the best way to get access to all that information. Vanessa Hutchinson, thank you so much for joining us today on Power Players. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Power Players, powered by Radio.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And throw it a rating or a comment if you're so inclined. Do you want to ask a question to my guests in upcoming shows? Hit me up on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartney. See you next time. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.